Welcome to Cartoonist Kayfabe. My name is Ed Piscor. I'm Jim Rugg. And I'm Tom Scholey, author of Jack Kirby, The Epic Life of the King of Comics and Fantastic Four Grand Design. We've done some Sandman comics uh, in the past, but we didn't do the Doc Destiny storyline. And uh, seeing that there is a TV show that's out now, uh, I saw that there was a guy cast as John D, the Doc Destiny character. thought it would be prime time to take a look at that comic uh, in sort of anticipation of this TV show that, that has been in various stages of production since the 1990s. But first, I want to invite you guys to like, follow, and subscribe to the YouTube channel. Hit the bell so that we can notify you when new vids are available. That'll mitigate the cave effect, which will not be in effect uh, in this video with the multi-million copies of Sandman that are out there. But often we talk about comics that are slightly obscure, hard to find, and uh, the people who see the videos earliest get first dibs on uh, the, the comics that we're talking about. You watch these videos to the very end. You help us out by pushing our YouTube videos out to a wider audience on YouTube. It helps us grow our channel numbers. We'd like to get 100,000 uh, sooner than later so that we get our little YouTube plaque. That seems like a nice achievement. And then six million. That's right. Uh, without further ado, let's take a look at uh, these various trade paperbacks of Sandman. We did the Todd McFarlane no game and deposition videos uh, in relation to, <laughs> to, to Angela and uh, who owns those characters. And in the deposition, in a court of law, sworn testimony, no game is talking about millions of copies of these things being sold in the 90s. Right. In the 90s, man. So how many of these things are like i had uh one of my teachers at the cubert school he did um alex stevens he did one of those single issue joints one of the one and dones it was a the story about uh a city that dreams or whatever uh, -huh. uh dude in 2000 was getting 10 g's a quarter for his contribution thanks to the trades so what the hell are these guys making mm -hmm. yeah you Game, know? gaming got some artists paid you don't hear Malcolm Jones the third anymore. That dude doesn't need to draw another comic ever again. I like how this uh, this library edition has this cover version on like their illustration of the book. It's kind of kind of clever. Yeah, man. The banding on this this run it would uh, be like a rainbow. Roy G. Biv mm -hmm. makes sense. Uh, so we will flash forward to is this sort of Passengers? Is this issue five, six, something like that? I yes. think it's issue six. So um, I read all three. Like it's like a three-parter. You guys read all three. We read too. the, we okay. read the three-parter. Okay. Absolutely, man. Up to uh, the death issue, mm -hmm. which we already have videos yeah, of, that. and we covered the previous stuff also. Maybe we'll include links in the description below. And John D. Like Doctor Destiny is an, a long-established character going yeah. back to the '60s, a, a JLA character, and uh, Gaiman kind of milks him for everything he's worth, and. The John D. name, as far as I know, Gaiman, that's his creation. Is the he like he wasn't called John D. But there, but there was a real guy called John, John D. Yeah, like a, like an Aleister Crowley type guy, wasn't he? He was in like, yeah, he was like, you know how rich people see psychics and shit. Mm -hmm. He was some sort of medium for like Queen Elizabeth or something, some royalty, mm -hmm. you know, giving her some smoke and mirrors and t and getting paid. Uh, so we, we begin in Arkham Asylum. Shouts to everybody who watched the Arkham Asylum video, Grant Morris and Dave McKean, that we did recently. This little Dave McKean piece. Yeah, this is my first time, like, realize, after having read this a bunch of times, this is my first time realizing this is a portrait of Mr. Miracle, which is, it's a really nice one, too. Oh, right, yeah, 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 sure. Because this was, I mean, uh, like, my Kirby fandom, I, like, when I first was reading this stuff, 
my Kirby fandom was in its infancy. I had probably never read a Mr. Miracle comic, you know, at the point that I saw that this was a, you know, a pretty good introduction to the character. Yeah, that's a fun thing, man. Uh, using this JLA character, uh, sort of on the back of some of the things that Alan Moore did in the Swamp Things when he would bring in Florian Man or whatever. What the hell is that? Floronic Man. Floronic Man. Yeah, another like old time character. And and then, you know, you got to go to the JLA satellite a bit. So here, this is like, I think the last Sam Keith issue. Um, inked by, I think it's inked by uh, Malcolm, Malcolm Jones. Let me just see real quick. Sam Keith and Malcolm Jones artists. So they're, they're dividing things up. Uh, pretty ghastly stuff. I don't seem, seem to remember Doc Destiny looking that way. <laughs> I'm sure not. Yeah. His, I mean, he had like a skull mask. I don't know like how much of his like real face you ever saw, but he had like a skull mask. So I guess he's trying to make a human face that looks like a skull, you know, for this version. When I saw this at first, I, I thought it was maybe Kelly Jones. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, yeah. Yeah. Based on that drapery mostly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's some crossover there. I wonder if Keith and Kelly Jones shared studio at some point, because I feel like there's some stylistic crossovers between those two. I think a lot of influences that they shared, uh, namely namely Corbin, Wrightson, Mm -hmm. that's part of both of their soups. Look at that fuck. It's disgusting. It's an unusual character for a uh, comic book in the 80s. He gets tidied up a little bit when the next artist comes on in the next issue he gets a little bit of hair yeah and he's a little more in shadows you know how about this man like you know when they have like a state supermax prison like they're in the middle of nowhere right like just just greenery all over surrounded by moats and shit like that fucking arkham asylum you just hop a fence and you're going to be able to to see a citizen he's got two guns waving at her and she still stops <laughs> And here's your origin. Yeah, great. Or, or your dream sequence from uh, Mr. Miracle. Great retelling of, you know, some of the um, Mr. Miracle origin stuff. And, like, so much Kirby in there. And, um, you know, reading this, like, I kind of thought, oh, like, he's weirding up the Kirby stuff. But when you read the Kirby stuff, it's, like, slight adjustments. The Kirby stuff is actually pretty weird. Like, pretty pretty horrific and scary. And, and we looked at that exact uh, Kirby issue where yeah. this stuff is pulled from with you some, mm-hmm. some time ago. So dig into the archives to find that one. Was it a Mirac- Mr. Miracle? Number nine. Number nine, yeah. And you can, um, you can kind of see, you know, maybe Gaiman thinking, like, oh, this could be a little bit of a recurring motif where it's, like, we have the nightmares of a superhero and then... Sandman shows up and maybe you know if if he had stayed in this sort of DC centric mode longer we might have seen like what kind of nightmares is Superman having what kind of nightmare you know Batman, you, could, you yeah. could imagine if it wasn't Gaiman doing sort of the, a complete story mm-hmm. and if this was just your typical DC monthly and you know Grant Morrison maybe comes on the next arc you could see it going in that direction or you could see mm-hmm. like the next writer figuring out like okay that's the direction we can keep this going and in, in, uh be relevant to DC readers. I was thinking about it, like, like, is this the first issue that does have that motif of Sandman looks different depending on the on the culture? I, I think this might be the first issue. It, I, I had that same thought, so I went back and double checked, and it was Hell, like the like two issues pre or one issue previous to this when he goes to Hell, and um, he he sees um, I think her name's Nuala, his his like. Uh, old right. girlfriend from you know a million years ago or whatever and that, i think that was the first one where it's like makes sense okay. yeah she sees him as a as a like a warrior 
and and that's one of those motifs that, that's that's super fun throughout the series because yeah we're going to get to see Martian Manhunter's mm -hmm. uh, version of what Sandman looks like, but then it does expand to the other cultures of the world. Now this is pure Sam Keith. I was going to say like some of the Kirby sequences there. Whenever they have two artists listed and it's Sam Keith and Malcolm Jones the third as artist, I wonder where that division is. Because yeah. some of those flashback panels didn't feel like Sam Keith at all. Right. Now, uh, you know, it's it's interesting like as far as like drawing superheroes and stuff, because Mr. Miracle, like Scott Free is one of the more like good looking superheroes. And you don't get that at all from here. This is like a horror book and like they you know, he's not going into that superhero mode, you know. It's it's nearly Bissett Toddlebin energy like that almost looks like Matt Cable the way that mm -hmm. Steve Bissett draws him yeah it's very bizarre to see Keith at this stage in his career so early yeah way before he becomes what we think of as Keith one of the most stylized you know comic book artists I think there's some chilling effect involved uh, there because Karen Berger was not feeling Sam Keith the way that uh, we do when we see Sam, uh, mm -hmm. Wolverine blood blood honey blood hunger uh, and he had to redraw like complete sequences and I think even that first issue had to be redrawn by Sam Keith so he ain't going too far out of the box yeah but where he is like I wonder what Gaiman's notes are for, yeah. for this character because it's such a cartoon but you're also next to non-cartoon elements right and here you go, man. The Martian Manhunter version of yeah, that's uh, a great moment. What what Morpheus looks like? Not too far from that, like late period Ghost Rider Vengeance. You remember <laughs> yes, Vengeance? Yes, Vengeance. <laughs> well, also, like so so much of Martian Manhunter's fears revolve around fire, right? And so it makes sense that this sort of terrifying god would have like his head be on fire. Just mentioning Vengeance makes me think of the, the statement that Neil Gaiman said in, in some Wizard interview, where. Uh, the people he said people at Marvel were passing around Sandman comics shitting on them and they said that uh the Sleepwalker comic yeah. is Sandman done right <laughs> <laughs> look at that for coloring yeah. very unusual coloring style absolutely it almost looks like there are flame motifs with the way the the different mm -hmm. greens are wrapped around his brow it looks like the computer colorists got their first uh Steve Olive program and are trying to use it because it just looks cut out and vectorized. Yeah, it's bizarre. And how about these weird textures? You know, like these early guys, Dringenberg, Jones, Keith, they would pull these textures that you just would not see in your average comic. Yeah, I really like those, but I don't know exactly how you make them. Yeah. Because they almost look like a screen tone or something that you're cutting out and applying, but I don't think that's what's happening. Yeah. And Martian Manhunter is talking about, hey, let's go eat some Oreos. So it's like tying into current Justice League, like the, the Giffen era you know, all their in-jokes, like, these these early DC-centered issues, uh, Gaiman's, like, very generous with, like, like, he had to read a bunch of, like, current <laughs> DC comics to kind of, you know, be able to make these references. Current and the past, like, so yeah. many characters I thought were just created for mm -hmm. Sandman, but, like, Lucian is a character in, like, those old kind of House of Mystery right, comics. Right, like, Eve... Uh, Cain, Abel, all this stuff. Those that, witches? Yeah, those, like the, they're all from those like weird mystery Alex, towns. Alex Toth draws yeah. those three witch chicks. Yeah, it's... It, Destiny, it one of the Destiny, endless, yeah. is, is, you know, that's a old Marv Wolfman character. Mm -hmm. I can't even imagine, like, the readers that come to this with no knowledge of, say, DC history and, and are reading this because of those pieces. Like, yeah. 
I just listened to Gaiman on Mark Marin, and he's talking about like the first year and how he thought he'd get the cancel call around issue eight and <laughs> right. probably be yeah. able to finish up the year. Yeah. And so you have to kind of like build a story that gets the ideas out there in that time frame and could be wrapped up even though it's not the complete story because that's like what a weird book you know yeah. you're bringing in Mar some dc continuity but you're also making a book that isn't like anything else well the, and the dc continuity he's drawing for like dr destiny and stuff like it feels like it's a lot of like 70s stuff just yeah. like the stuff yeah. that he would have read when he was a kid S similar kind of stuff like you'd see in like grant morrison referencing you know seven soldiers of victory and that kind of stuff except on the weird stuff you know the yeah, House focusing of on the weird yeah and dr destiny it is like if you're going through the catalog dr destiny after a certain like mysterioptican i thought that was a neil gaiman invention that's like 1960s that's like you know john broom or somebody and then um and, and as dr destiny goes on into the 60s and 70s he is like he'll go into their dreams mess up their like he know. has the ruby yeah like mm -hmm. that, that that locket is a part of his costume so so it, like, it must have jumped out when he's like okay i'm doing this dream themed book you yeah know, here's right. a guy i can use this name Mayhew has some importance to Neil Gaiman because in I, f I don't remember the novel, but this name is used in some of his uh, prose books. Mm -hmm. So I have no idea. I'm just just an observation. Peter Mayhew, who played Chewbacca, <laughs> he probably grew up the next town over or something. So this is JLA storage. Yes. So right. so each of these things probably is something. Yeah, this is that, I forget his name, like Ultimo or something. There's this like android that they're constantly fighting who has like the powers of the JLA. But what a great idea too. Like they're like, okay, the JLA satellite got blown up years ago. What happened to all the trophy room stuff, all, all that like, and it's like, oh, we got that in a storage space. Like that's like such a cool little detail. Yeah. We, we thought maybe we'd display some of it but it's kind of corny and embarrassing so we just yeah yeah it's like hanging up hanging up your uh, eisner orders these are some really nice pages artistically mm -hmm. that previous spread and like some of this stuff feels like we're coming into our own it's a shame to think then then the next step is show sam keith the door because right. there are sam keithisms you know i don't know how much L largely silent sequence too so mm -hmm. still solidifying the aesthetics of the character not quite on model for what we think of as morpheus longer hair but again, what a standout on the comic shop wall. Mm -hmm. I, uh, I came into Sandman very late, mm -hmm. uh, so I just got the trades. But whenever I would see the issues, it would be on like that Mondo or Baxter type mm -hmm. paper and have very similar color. And that actually turned me off, like seeing, sure, yeah. seeing those super saturated I, colors. I would like to see a newsprint uh, Sandman, you know? Yeah. I would like to see. Considering how many Sandmans have been published, it's kind of surprising that... They haven't done like a completely recolored edition, mm -hmm. but also maybe the newsprint isn't as surprising, but it seems like if you wanted to do some kind of boutique version, Sandman's the property that you could do it on. Yeah. Well, they certainly have done their boutique versions, man. They sell that old rope in a million different ways, absolute editions, all, all kind, and we just saw two different versions. Like nobody has the same version no, yeah. right. of the trade paperback, different covers for all of them. This. Um this is a very odd looking gunshot like we've seen many gunshot panels in comics i've never seen one quite like this and then with like the blood you know squirting like that it almost looks like a goddamn bullpen paste up mm -hmm. you know like maybe something was there before also big time saver his the image of him standing out there dude with dwight's coat on from, oh, right. from uh, family values with a hand in the pocket yeah, it feels like a lot of Frank Miller on there. Yeah, and those are like her clothes, I guess. And yeah. this is before Sin City, I believe. Yeah. 
Yeah, probably a couple, like three or four years before it. But man, it really is. Like, that's that's right out of Sin City. Yeah, we're getting the Jorge Savino looking territory there. And look, and that, that curve of that back, that's just like, that's like Uncanny Valley, man. It's human, but man. It's a great silhouette. Yeah, all you have to do if he's sharing space with another cartoonist is just look over at him. <laughs> <laughs> this is usually the part off camera where we all sit up straight. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now, up, up to this point, all the issues have been like one and dones. And then this is like, you know, the, the big three-parter. Yeah, yeah. There, there would be, you know, a couple parts. There's like little like cutaways to like, oh, here's what this guy's up to. But largely, they're like self-contained stories. And this is cool for these McKean pieces. I wonder if, if they retain these. Yeah, mine has that too, and it is pretty neat. It, it, it could maybe almost be a flip book if you you know could line all those pages up of, of somebody gestating. 24 hours, man. This is this is like one of the early famous stories, I feel like, man. Break break down the day uh, by hour in the in the captions. And for such a brief comic, you know, 22, 24 pages establishes half a dozen characters. Mm -hmm. Gives each of them complete whole arcs. Yeah. Uh, Dringenberg and Malcolm Jones III, I love their art in this in these two issues. I think they're a really good, I don't know, Vertigo team, uh, short story. Mm -hmm. You know, like it fits the setting, the characters. It's just really good stuff. It's a good pair. I think it's the best pair so far in Sandman where yeah. like the artists really seem to m mesh with the story well. This is like closer to what we think of as like Sandman art. The, you know, the Sam Keith stuff is such a wild, you know, standout. You know, I can't imagine maybe. that from like a game and standpoint of visualizing the series and trying to find the right artist or communicate these ideas in the early stages. I think I think it was he had a tough go at it because he you could find uh, some comic convention panels uh, on YouTube where people straight up VHS camcorder footage with him and Malcolm Jones up there and just talking about the struggles of like finding the art team finally landing on Mike Drindenberg for a bit but then Drindenberg isn't turning pages in fast enough to to keep it going he said that it could have easily just been that that team for the whole thing but Mike D just wasn't yeah showing up this is like a very Stephen King setup absolutely know, all these people in a diner Americana and some, yeah yeah I mean it could be you know Maine even the main character, the conceit that she's a writer. Mm -hmm. and Very Stephen King. -ish. Yes. <laughs> That's what you do, I guess, as a creator, right? No game and put, put, put some, uh, some of the writer in there. Hey, man, like, like comics factor in, are going to factor into my comics from now on. We're, we're talking about like where, you know, he has to come up with all these characters for this like sort of done in one issue. And it's like, you know, maybe he's doing exactly what this waitress is doing. You know, these are all people that he's met you know various versions of and everybody's got a dark secret this right is kind of the thing this is a cool thing too man you got that mm -hmm. established drawing and then you surprint it right yeah. there whenever he's using some telekinesis that's that's a moment i'd like to see in newsprint i bet that would really sing cartoonist kayfabe is brought to you by the comic books that we make currently jimmy is soliciting hulk grand design treasury edition it's going to come out around christmas time but we need your pre-orders in right away capturing about 60 years worth of co of Incredible Hulk comics lore into one hefty package. And Jim put the design together and uh, got exactly the production values he wanted out of the project. It is a must-see. Uh, September 2022 is when the Red Room Trigger Warnings trade paperback is hitting the stores. Thank you so much for supporting Red Room, the Antisocial Network. This volume will fit comfortably 
right next to that one, uh, collecting the 2022 season of Red Room Comics, uh, along with probably 75 pages of extra material. Hit our links in the link tree in the description below this video to order our comics and to pre-order future comics. Now that we're done paying the bills, back to the video. He has urgency, wants to leave. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, let me sit back down. Yeah, mm, great coffee. And what he's do like this diner is a stand-in for just the whole world. What right. he's doing for this diner is what he plans to do for for the whole planet. When we start establishing like these characters, like the person on the other end of the phone, is gonna be a character in, in future issues. Yeah, I need to reread all this stuff with that kind of stuff in mind. Yeah. There are so many like little like Easter eggs. And Absolutely. Things. And yeah, there's this Beanie and Cecil kind of show. <laughs> and then he slits his wrist. I, I can I can comfortably recommend the Audible audiobooks uh, of uh, Sandman. Um, Neil Gaiman, he's either reading from his comic scripts when describing the sequences, or he wrote hundreds of extra pages. Mm -hmm to go along with, with the prose of it. He is the other real narrator and they got tremendous voice acting. Like that guy who played um, Split in Professor X in, in, in like those late period uh, X-Men movies. He's Morpheus. Kat Dennings is Death. She's great. Uh, they, they get some A-list actors to voice the characters and and i, I say that just because I, I remember you know it's good it's good company wild uh drawing sure. you know because each there's two acts that are out there's the third is going to wrap up the 75 issues it's okay. about it's almost 20 some issues per per uh book um but i just remember this sequence in the audio edition well that's interesting like retelling this like for neil gaiman to retell the story a number of times and then like he's actually creating the show and like maybe he just wouldn't have been psychologically ready to do all this stuff, you know, a year or two after it's done or, or as it's going on. It's kind of like you let the stuff kind of rest for a decade or two and then revisit it with like fresh eyes. It is interesting to redo, have the same creator redoing these versions because we see it with Akira, but you yeah. don't see it very often. Yeah. Maybe Dan Klaus writing Ghost World, you know, like it, it's pretty rare, the, the examples I can think of. Dan Klaus is definitely an example, and that just came to mind when I watched those Anti-Gravity Room episodes mm -hmm. that I sent you guys because he's in the midst of making the Ghost World comic and is on set of the movie. So here's our little dreams of our various... Uh, people like what, what's this lady doing like she yeah, chops she, this guy's head off and this is like the phantom of like her like her kissing dream. him she like she's this is her in real life now and she's yeah she's like kissing this this dead and and as the story goes on you find out that that um she's uh into like sneaking into uh uh mortuaries, mortuaries and, and, yeah. and banging dead guys yes. uh necro necrophilia yeah yeah you're pretending like you're <laughs> 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 and, and, and just he's he's the Dave Koresh of the diner here. Yeah, and nothing nothing's given him the thrill he wants. He's trying everything, and uh, you know, let, let 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 me turn them all against each other. Uh, okay, let me have them worship me. You know, and, and nothing's working. <laughs> he still has too much of those Arkham Asylum drugs and shit flowing through him. Yeah, and the Arkham Asylum thing, like from from day one in this story, they're like, "You'll be back." You know, this is a revolving door. We'll see you, you know. Totally. How about these textures here, man? So hard to tell what that stuff is. Even the choice to go black and white on that panel. Yeah. Is, is compelling. 
I love this kind of lettering in the mm -hmm. background. That's yeah. very Arkham Asylum-esque to, to me. And they got the Adams Family theme going, and then he says the neat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just as he's observing yeah. people fucking or whatever. Mm -hmm. Yeah, who knows what, what's going on under there. Yeah, here's your necrophilia piece. Yeah, and like everybody's got a dark secret. It, it gets really dark, too. Especially for a DC comic, like what you think of DC being, it's yeah. very, very dark. Yeah, we're going hardcore. And from what I understand, like this is one of the episode, one of the early episodes of the show, and it's supposed to be pretty, you know, pretty intense. We'll find out tomorrow as of this recording. Yeah, I'm, I'm curious about how much DC, like, because I'm assuming they have to take all the DC out. So he might be John D, but I doubt he's going to be Doctor Destiny. Yeah, sure, of course, and I, and I do know that uh, in the previous stuff that we covered, it's not John Constant Constantine. Okay, okay, it's yeah. Johanna Constantine who was created specifically mm -hmm. for the comic. And Gaiman said, like. Just regular folk, they don't give a fuck. They no. don't know what a John Constantine is. Mm -hmm. Or as all the British guys call him Constantine. Well, this uh, this DC stuff got shed pretty early. Yeah. And uh, and that kind of gives these early Sandmans a little bit of a charm. Because they, they, they're so different from the rest. And then it's not until the very last chapters that he kind of brings some of that stuff just to bookend it. And I think it was just a constant headache. Like, mm -hmm. the very next round of stuff, man, like the Doll's House, they, can't, they won't even let him use Bizarro. <laughs> you know, it's the weirdos. It's like some Sienkiewicz, yeah, yeah. some Edmund. some some Chaykin. Ted McKeever. McKeever, yeah, absolutely. Think about this moment in time. There was like so much in the air, so much like possibility change, yeah. Yeah, in comics, which was so stifled for so many decades. Once again, like coloring wise, there's some very bold things happening. Yeah, whole images in Serpent that mm -hmm. are just kind of pushed to the back, scratched in little Oedipal gimmick mm -hmm. happening right there. Yeah, amazing what they allow on panel and off panel. Mm -hmm. Like stabbing herself in the eyes. We're gonna we're gonna crop that part mm -hmm. out. We know what's happening there, but let's not show it. <laughs> that previous page it's it's pounding the nails through the hand in like a deliberate eight panel sequence. It is a it, it's hard to imagine this like translated into live action. Yeah, and even a titty in a DC <laughs> yeah, comic. You know? It's like, wait, stabbing in the eyes. This is, oh, but a boob. What's a boob down in a DC comic? <laughs> <laughs> and and one of these early ones, or no, you know, it's Chris Pachalo, the Doll's House, in the next issue, um, in the next trade paperback. It's been amended for the trade, but uh, Eric Reynolds, co-publisher of DC of uh, Fantagraphics was working he's friends with uh, chris pachalo when they were kids and you know teenagers and stuff and he was helping out chris spot blacks like do pace ups there's an image where they're like looking at tv screens and and they pasted it in a blow job and it it's in the issue but uh it was amended for the trade paperback <laughs> well there's the kayfabe effect yeah getting, yeah getting that issue. and you and you can find uh like in that same sequence like there is a photo of eric eric reynolds in, in the uh, on the page, but it nicks that one too. No. Get him out of there! Can't have the competition showing up. This might be the most offensive piece, man. Seeing a house fly, yeah, looking so severe right there. It's uh, you know throwing everything at the wall and seeing what sticks. Like there's a lot in this. Super squat figures. Like yeah. he almost draws all these guys like five heads tall. Uh, can you guys have you guys seen anything story wise of like why he's grown hair between issues like? I think it's just a creative just, choice. Just the, yeah, just the, the change of artists. Yeah, he's not like so well established. And, 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 you know, it's kind of boring. It's just a skull head guy. Why not grow some hair? A skull head is a very scary thing. <laughs> you know that bad stuff's going to happen. That's real close to Morpheus as we know him. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, um, the the final part has like the yeah. Morpheus. What a bold issue too to only have Morpheus in there at the end. Yeah. Yeah. That was kind of a thing in comics around this time too. It's like we're gonna have an issue with Spider Man where Spider Man doesn't even show up, you know. Yeah, seems seems like a bad idea for Spider Man. <laughs> I think it makes a lot more <laughs> but sense. But that, that shows you how far it spread, you know. Yeah. Again, like some of these sequences I think are beautiful. You know, mm -hmm. like I, I've been critical of some Sandman art in the past. But I don't feel it on this story. I think it's there. Very interesting all the way through. And the the ending of that of that section was it's like okay your fun's over. Um, you know, right. Superman's here. Yeah, the tone has changed. Mm -hmm. This is another. This is a great portfolio piece highlighting the contribution of Todd Klein, mm -hmm. who is alongside Dave McKean. He is the connective tissue right. with with the entire series, and this is a. This series is a showcase of of his tremendous ability, certainly in forthcoming issues, like when they have that key to hell and are trying to figure mm -hmm. out who gets it, when every god has their own speech balloon, all the endless have their own speech patterns. The helmet is made out of the skull of Man-Thing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the black gutters. Let's go fight in my realm. And and Morpheus up to this point is a severely weakened Morpheus, even more weakened because in the previous issue he touched that gem and the things that John D did to it m made him like even weaker. Like right. he's maybe at death's door. And so now they're gonna fight in, inside of people's dreams. Saw a couple versions of the, these high contrast photos that uh get po pasted on and then kayfabed up a little bit with mm -hmm. with white media or scratching stuff out or whatever alchemy they use i guess a current reference around this time would have been like freddy krueger like like yeah. the idea was was in the air of like fighting inside of people's dreams going ken wind mm -hmm. <laughs> with uh these faces right there wind like the air not want or wind like a watch yeah bringing in some sort of photo stat halftone might even be the same photo, but, you know, the original version. You know, uh, Neil Gaiman was, was in that Sparks documentary, and they have that um, album, Kimono My House, and I, I wonder if this is a reference to that, that album cover. It's interesting, the margins in this story, too, from the beginning of this issue, it's much tighter, uh, like, big margins, yeah. and I wonder if that's another attempt visually to represent the dreams. Like, right. we go to the dreams, and now we've got full bleeds and full page <laughs> art and stuff. This this panel always stands out to me. This is like kind of, you know, the closest to like a superhero right. aesthetic. You know, sort of like Gil Kane anatomy. You know, so, so much is, going on. But then the rest of the spread totally yeah. isn't. It'd almost be like you cut up one of the superhero comics yeah. and, and pasted that panel it's on. It's like, look at that. It's like Banksy art mm -hmm. versus Shepard Fairey art on a, some building structure. And then it's clearly just the same. And even Pepsi ads put in there. Very strange. Pop art comics. Yeah. He's in Dream's world, so like every bystander is Dream, and maybe they're not doing anything, but they're this, there. This would be one of those pages where you want to read the script and just mm -hmm. see how what what Neil Gaiman is is describing. I always think that on these kinds of pages because it feels like the artist is interpreting something that's yeah. almost conceptual. How do you how do you interpret that in black and white? And even the color, are there allusions to the color here? Because it is like it's a little bit of very every flat. color on the on the mm -hmm. spectrum. Yeah, and some that you don't see in comics very often, like that, that yeah, greenish, right? Yeah, you never see that. And it, it speaks to the paper that these things would have been printed on, because like you could not use this on newsprint. It would just really look like you wiped your butt with that. 
when I see this motif, I mean, there's that one X-Men comic that uh, that uh, Neil Adams drew where they like harness the the mind powers. Mm -hmm. It's actually dream powers of of uh, the world, mm -hmm. and it's you know Neil Adams drawing it, so it's super well referenced with like culturally appropriate headgears and stuff. I did that for a, a crowd shot on the cover of Super Mag, and it's all it's one of those like Southern publications of like. Uh, people have been arrested. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. That's where I got all my references That's for That's so good, man. <laughs> and so, yeah, here's all the, the DC horror hosts hiding. And watching. Yeah. This sequence that's coming up is a sequence that Neil Gaiman talks about in one of the chapters of the, the Neil Gaiman Masterclass when he's talking about the importance of page turns and yes. how you can uh, control Don't turn it yet. I will not. This lettering, totally, that's another one of those pieces that feels like I, it's cut out of a, uh, a Batman comic right. or something and put in there. Like, considering Todd Klein's attention to lettering detail throughout, it doesn't feel like that's a random choice. Do you yeah. think that, that that's stuff that's in the script? Yeah, that's a good question. Well, I mean, you know, you're having a cracking ruby and th those letters do look like cracks you know the shape of them look you know like a glass cracking yeah and then this is great now i wonder in the comic sometimes the comic paper is a little thin like if you see <laughs> some of the other page or like the the ad you know for count dante or whatever. right or like a, a little piece of him is right up yeah. there absolutely so this is the sequence that yeah. that no gaiman talks about and I don't quite remember, but he might, he definitely is showing off his roughs, like the way that he does that. He makes little dummies with typing mm -hmm. paper, folds mm -hmm. it in half, does quick sketches and stuff. Uh, if he didn't show the mock-up dummy illustrating his idea of command of the page turns with this, he shows some of the uh, roughs and stuff from his Charles Vess Midsummer's Nice Dream uh, issue. And so he, he, he won, like John D won as, as far as he knows and stuff and he's like i got it i i won and i thought there'd be applause i thought maybe somebody'd say something i don't know if you guys can relate to that with like any of like the victories you've had in your it, life or it, career that's you know? really funny it, it was the great uh guy Ritchie was on yeah. the nerdist podcast and he said uh you only have to hold the trophy to know that it's hollow <laughs> and i feel like and this sequence is the new gaming version of in uh the, the Swamp Thing comics whenever they're doing the seance and there's like this big black nebulous thing that's springing up and you realize mm -hmm. it's like the fingernail yeah. mm -hmm. of you know some giant monster or maybe even Spectre mm -hmm. this I mean this is such a show-stopping image like you know great moment really well-planned moment and you need like a show-stopper like that and you got it like it, it you know really works and because it is a DC comic, you got to give them some gear and stuff, because that would be a big white dingus <laughs> if we were going legit. And now he's like full Sid Vicious. Yes, yeah. He is. And they used this. This image was used in ads a bunch. Of, I wonder if they just like whited out John D. But like that, like I've seen that a million times of, of uh, Dream. Just looking down on him like a big mm -hmm, nothing. Yeah. yeah, and and he's slowly shrinking back to his size, and he's like, "Are you gonna?" are you going to kill me now? Like, is, is this, and he's like, well, I, I would have, but you kind of did me a huge favor because I might not have thought to destroy the Ruby to, you know, it is one of those things where the, the uh, hero didn't defeat the villain, 
using anything other than his own luck and like letting the and the hero just defeating himself. Yeah, it's the it's, color's it's, so nice. Yeah, it's the <laughs> hubris of the villain, right. which is often the the t the moral tale of. Mm -hmm your superhero comic and so they're in the this sort of fantasy world they step through this door and they're back in like squalid arkham <laughs> and and there's a scarecrow where book the book ending sequence man welcoming john d back yeah back to back home i told you you'd be back and you know you can't have the scarecrow without a uh, wizard of oz reference there's no place like home he even does john d an extra favor lets the guy catch a night's rest mm -hmm. this is a really nice panel mm -hmm. using the inside of the cloak and this uh next issue blurb kills me it's hilarious like i love that a death in the family right great joke yeah man time wise that would have been mm -hmm. shortly after that yeah uh, yeah it's a current reference <laughs> there it is man the john d sequence uh you can find videos of all of the other sandman comics from preludes and nocturnes on the channel perhaps we'll put some of those in the description and if we don't i know a cartoonist kayfabe audience member will uh put something in the comments and that we can pin up there make a make a sandman supercut yeah that's right absolutely man but there it is man we'll wrap up our preludes and nocturnes uh in anticipation of the uh tv show that has recently come out essentially been in the works since the 1990s we'll see how it stacks up Cra crazy to think about that like you know, all the offers and all the things that probably could have happened all along, you know, and like saying no to them or what, like, it's because this was a huge, huge comic and we're what, like 40 years later or so, or 35 or something? 35 years yeah. or so, man. And uh, it's it's one of the really interesting things from like the maker standpoint, the, the I don't know if control's the right word or what, but what Gaiman does with Sandman outside of the storytelling, it's remarkable. Like nobody's done that mm -hmm. at a Marvel DC work for hire kind of situation the amount of like this is like he's the author of this work and controls it somehow um talk about all these creators who are into magic this is the real <laughs> magic that's being done here they they gave they gave him you know a lot of lot of latitude uh with this and he is the guy who would have been you know part of the discussions with hollywood you know he tells he, a story he, on that marin interview of his first hollywood meeting he went into whoever the the, the studio exec was and said please don't make sandman yeah. right <laughs> and and he said they said like that's the first time anybody's ever taken yeah. one of these meetings and asked me not to make the movie <laughs> that, that that was a good interview the the marin one but not as good as the cartoonist kayfabe interview is gonna be that's right cat <laughs> we're coming calling oh yeah i think a, a big part of where, where Gaiman succeeds in maintaining some control where Alamore sort of doesn't is the the fact that he, like he will give them future work every now and then you know because mm -hmm. like his whole thing was like if you allow Sandman to continue after me or you give it to somebody else or whatever like I just will not do anything for you. that was that was the only sort of ultimatum he gave i won't work for you anymore they gave him control there there certainly are concessions like there are those like sideline stories the dreaming mm -hmm. uh some of this goofball shit that they're publishing right now whatever that stuff is uh but it's not sandman and he'll give them a little batman story here or there and you know some other sideline projects well i mean like the way dc fucked over Alan Moore they did the opposite with game they like you know reverse fucked them over or so because 
Like, they gave him a lot of things that were just not contractually stipulated. You yeah. Know? Whereas with Alan Moore, they kind of, you know, used, you know, uh, the con you know, use the contract against him or something. That's the other thing that's interesting with Gaiman, and because of the uh, McFarlane, you know, like all those depositions that they did, you see some of the contract talk, mm -hmm. and there is this window in comics, like the late 80s or whatever, where I think the the contracts were maybe the most favorable they ever get for the creators. And I think Neil Gaiman's the example here at DC with Sandman. I think Liefeld's the example with, with a cable and a Deadpool at yeah. Marvel, but I think it's just this short window of like late 80s, early 90s where, you know, maybe they were the most favorable contracts you were going to get for something that you don't own outright, but maybe you get a piece of and you're connected to it throughout the rest of your career, the rest of your life, maybe even your heirs. Right. Super cool. You guys good to go? Yes. All right, man. Let's go watch this uh, Sandman show and see what it's all about. K-Favors, like, follow, subscribe to the YouTube channel. Hit the bell. We'll notify you when new vids are available. Jimmy, what you got? Hulk Grand Design, the collected oversized treasury edition, will be in shops in December, but now is the time to pre-order that from your comic shop, from Amazon, for your library, wherever you buy books, now is the time to hook up Hulk Grand Design, and you're going to want that book with a fluorescent green cover that you'll be able to see from outer space. Uh, and join me on patreon.com slash jimrug where you can see more of my comics and art. Tom, you going to tell the people about what you're working on now or no? Uh, soon. Soon. Not right now. But yeah, in the meantime, check out Jack Kirby, The Epic Life of the King of Comics, Fantastic Four Grand Design. Go to my Patreon. There's a lot of cool stuff there. And, uh, you know, American Barbarian too. Check that out. Red Room Trigger Warning Straight Paperback is going to be out September 2022. My 10th solo book in 10 years. Super proud of the accomplishment. I hope you guys support the project. Uh, you can order and pre-order these comics at your local comic shop on Amazon or hit my link tree in the description below to order and pre-order current and future Red Room comics. You could also hit up my Patreon. I'm serializing uh, new Red Room comics that have yet to see the light of day in a print version and won't see the light of day in a print version for, for many months. Uh, three bucks gets you the archive there, almost 300 pages of comics up there as we speak. New ships every Tuesday. Jim, what else do we have? Subscribe to the Cartoonist Kayfabe e-newsletter at the links below this video. You can also find Cartoonist Kayfabe t-shirts, merchandise, and fanny packs at the links below this video. It's another great way to support the Cartoonist Kayfabe channel. Given those marching orders, we'll be on our way. Read more comics.